During Lent, we have been following the rhythm of giving up false beliefs and taking up new beliefs in their place, trading in beliefs that have led to harm and looking toward ways of thinking that are bringing us into healthier and more hopeful views of God, of ourselves, and of community. Last week, we had a really important discussion around purity culture, and this week's topic feels really closely tied to that conversation. Today, we're talking about giving up the false belief that romance will complete you. And I'm so excited for my friend Allison to be joining us for today's message. So I will invite her up here. Allison and I met at seminary, and she is currently the Young Adults Director at North Park Covenant Church. One of my favorite things about Allison is that she is always willing to welcome people into her home, even if it's very last minute. So if you are in need of a full charcuterie board and wine night at like 7.50 p.m., you want it for 8 o'clock, Allison's your girl. You could show up and have everything ready and waiting for you. If you wake up in the morning and don't have coffee, she will have cold brew, a whole coffee bar going. So that has been my favorite thing. She's actually my neighbor and lives right upstairs from Andy and I. So I'm so glad that we basically just get to have coffee here and hang out and talk about this really important topic today. So Allison, could you introduce us a little bit to yourself? Tell us about yourself. Yeah. Hi. Good morning, everyone. I am really excited. And I'm also blown away that I just met some friends from college that I didn't know went here. So (laughs) small world after all. Um, And facts, if you ever need coffee to go, like my place is definitely the place to stop by. I have to-go cups and everything. It's my favorite Uh, coffee shop. (laughs) One day, maybe I'll open up shop. Uh, Yeah, I went to, or I'm going to seminary with Haley. I'm hoping to graduate in May. Uh, I'm an artist. Uh, I am single, and that's why I've been roped in today's conversation, um, because I think that there is a different layer of uh, this kind of subliminal but pervasive lie that romance completes us as we approach 30 and are still single or are single after 30. Uh, And I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation. And I just wanted to drop a note in and say, like, I have a lot of opinions on this topic, um, but I don't think that they're helpful for everyone. So today, uh, I'm going to be offering us a lot of questions. I'm going to be offering us a lot of ideas, um, because I think that uh, this allows space for us to sit in our own experiences and our own journeys a lot easier. Uh, And we'll be approaching this conversation with some wonder. Um, If you have questions or thoughts or be like, what do you really think, Allison? You can ask me after and I will (laughs) happily tell you. So with that, um, the idea of romance completing you, which we're going to dive into today, this is a pretty pervasive one and not just in the church. Think of all of the rom-coms that immediately come to mind. Um, And this stat that we actually found that according to a recent YouGov poll, 60% of American adults believe in the idea of soulmates. So the expectations that are set around singleness, relationships, and marriage are not subtle. So as we dive in, Allison, I'd love if you could share some examples of how we see this in really obvious ways. Yeah. And like, first off, just want to lead in, like, this is so pervasive that it has hopped the tracks from Christian culture, and it is now pervasive in just secular culture, Uh, American culture at large. Like, that stat is for the United States as a whole. It's not, like, in the Christian church. Um, So one of my 
favorite things. I actually didn't add to this list. Um, Y'all heard of Valentine's Day? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's an industry in and of itself for single people and romance. Um, one of my favorite, least favorite things that we say in the church is to pray for your future spouse. Um, you can actually buy journals for this. And I find that deeply cringeworthy. Um, what if we just prayed for ourselves and the people in our now sphere? Um, like, yes, pray for the desires of your heart and your future, but also, how about pray now for what's now? Um, there's also a wedding industry. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of that in any way by attending weddings, or maybe you are married now. Uh, I've been to probably 30 weddings, at least, uh, and it feels a little bit circus-like. Uh, so my personal plug, uh, to help single people at weddings, would you please get rid of the bouquet toss? That's just a, I'm just gonna <laughs> add that in there. <laughs> like, yeah, thank you for the clap. Uh, if you can't live without the bouquet toss, where you literally just like, shame the single women, you force them, you play the single lady song, they all come up, just give the bouquet to a person who has deeply influenced your life instead, maybe, uh, because it's just really unfair to then have the men come up at a wedding who then all get uh, glorified for their singleness and man prowess during the garter toss, which is also just gross. Okay. Um, I think the wedding industry and like the lie of romance around that is also telling you to wait for nice things because that's also when you get like your wedding registry. I recently found out that people do like graduation registries, like after you graduate like high school or college or grad school, uh, you can create a registry for people helping you establish your life after that momentous occasion. Um, but just that lie of you have to wait for someone else to have things that make a home feel like home. Like get yourself the nice stuff now. Uh, or thrift it if you're cheap. Uh, another really obvious thing that I see in our culture is uh, all the dating apps. I don't know how many of you guys have used those. Uh, during the pandemic, it felt like a real-life version of Love is Blind. Uh, that was my experience anyway. Uh, you meet them outside. Just kidding, I didn't go on pandemic dates. Maybe I did. Uh, if you've ever been on a Christian campus, Ring by spring is an actual disease. Some of you might have caught it. No judgment. Uh, it's really funny uh, how all of these romance things just kind of sneak into life. Yeah, definitely. And I can't even cringe too much because I am a product of the ring by spring I'm really mentality. Sorry, but y'all are real. But cute. it worked out great. It's, it's Shout out to Andy um, <laughs> and Ollie. Come on, <laughs> cutest kid alive. So I'm wondering now if we could transition a little bit, um, are there ways that we see this through the lens of scripture? Because I think that's another, there's popular culture and church culture, and then there's even the use and maybe weaponizing or twisting of scripture that helps this idea spread as well. Yeah, and I think that's part of the lie is that we get stuck in this singular metaphor or singular narrative, because absolutely there is uh, a lot of scripture that centers around relationship and marriage specifically, but it's not the only one. And so some really obvious places that we see it, if you're familiar with scripture, is right in the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2. 
Uh, for me, it's really important to remember that there are two creation stories in that first book of Genesis. And Genesis 2, the second creation account, is where we get stuck with Adam and Eve. It's like that divine pairing, and it's like the church tries to sell you that there is the one, your Eve for your Adam, your Adam for your Eve. And I just don't think that's it. I truly believe that if you were meant to be in partnership with a person, like God will provide the best suitable partner for you if that's what you desire. Uh, but in Genesis 1, the first creation account, humanity is just created in plural. It's humankind. Uh, we're created to be relational. Um, some other areas where you might see this narrative uh, really pushed by the church is the Song of Songs. It's an entire book about romance. It's pretty spicy, actually, so be careful uh, when you read it. Um, a really, really toxic one is that metaphor of Ephesians 5, uh, Christ is head of the church like man is head of the wife. I have a whole sermon series on that. We can talk later. Um, and then in the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, there's this whole metaphor about how the church is the bride of Christ, which, again, not a bad metaphor, but I think it really uh, silos people to believe that this is the only way that the restoration of humanity and God's interaction in the world uh, looks. And I think these metaphors are especially harmful for women because here on earth, who is the bride of Christ? Uh, women get stuck in that role. I think men have a really hard time relating to being a bride. Uh, and so then what we're left with is women waiting for salvation and men kind of get glorified of being single. It's like they're making their way in the world, they're establishing their career, and if anything, they are preparing their financial uh, like stability for a woman to come into their life to, to then provide them with a family. So, yeah, um, I think too with this one, there is, uh, it's really fragile to tie your whole future to one person, that that is what your future is headed towards, that um, that keeps you from actively living in the present as well. So. In church culture, in popular culture, this idea that you're just waiting for the right one, that you're in a waiting time, or time of testing, um, all of that just completely disregards what you're presently going through and experiencing and places this emphasis on the future um, that I think it can be really problematic that we aren't able to fully live in what's happening now if you're told that you are just waiting for what is to come. And some of these might overlap, but maybe are there some additional subtle ways that you've noticed this belief that romance will complete you? Yeah, and so again, for some of you who have experienced long-term singleness, maybe these are still obvious to you. They're still obvious to me, so it was a little bit tough kind of picking and choosing which category they went in. Uh, but if you have ever walked through a store and looked through the home decor options, it's a lot of plural language. It's a lot of, this is our home. Like, this is us, space, we. Uh, there's not really signs that say, welcome to my home. or <laughs> So that's really simple. Or also in stores, uh, food is not manufactured for single people. I have a real hard time going through a loaf of bread in a week. <laughs> or like, you know, I don't want to eat the same meal every single day because mm -hmm. it gets gross after a while. Um, some other sneaky ways might be... Uh, 
how many conversations have you had with a person that at no point involved talking about a relationship? Like, have you seen any cute guys lately? Yo, did you like talk to that girl you said you were gonna talk to? Um, like, yeah, it's fun, but there's so much else that you can talk about and like you're establishing like subconsciously that your worth is attached to someone else, that you, who you're talking to, who you're getting to know. Um, I've actually had women tell me that they feel like they're missing out. They want to be part of the club where they get to talk about their relationship in a group setting. Uh, and I just think that's really sad. And then also it's like when people find out that I'm single, like people that are older than me, they're like, oh, I have a friend, I have a son, I have a grandkid that's single. And I'm like, good for them. Good for them. Uh, I think in church spaces, some really sneaky things where it enters in is uh, the church is kind of built for families and church that's across the board. If you look at what's usually offered in church spaces, it's you have nursery, childcare, youth group, like zero through 18 stuff offered, right? And then you have adult courses and those are usually where their parents plug in and then you have groups for their grandparents. So where do single people fit in or people who don't have kids? Uh, we don't, so we're like third wheel in it all the time. Uh, I think another, this is really small, but this has been a consistent theme in my life. Uh, people don't sit towards the middle. So when single people walk in, there's nowhere for us to like quickly and quietly just sit our singleness by ourselves. Uh, so I have made a habit of actively trying to sit in the middle, which I broke. I'm sitting on the end today, but no one wants to sit in the front row. So I figured <laughs> it was okay. So yeah, uh, the church also uses a lot of metaphors and language around family, which implies romance, because that means you've found your person and you've started creating humans. Um, and that's really hard to compare God's love. Like if you're constantly comparing God's love to be parental, like from a father to a child or from a mother to a child, or like the love between a spouse, that leaves out a lot of people. There's a lot of people that aren't married. There's a lot of people who have experienced divorce and there's a lot of people who have become widowed or are widowers. So we have to expand our language around what God's love looks like because it's more than just that romantic inclination. Yeah, I, I think that word expand is really important because it's the central idea that's still here. Um, that's one of love and belonging and connection. It's not that that's problematic. Mm -hmm. It's that when that is the only, um, the only view and we're tying it to a really humanly experience of one person um, or a really close family or community, when we expand that to be more inclusive, um, that for me is where this, it's not that the, the central idea is problematic, it's that you need to move beyond just one singular narrative. Right. And if you want to do a quick read, uh, Christina Cleveland has an amazing, extraordinary article called A Liberation Theology for Single People. And it just completely shattered the way that I view singleness. And she has a, this is a direct quote from her work that I think really encapsulates the, the sneakiness of romance in the church setting. Uh, and she writes this. 
Brown and black people experience singleness at higher rates than whites. It's about 30% higher than what white people experience. They also are more likely to be marginalized by the dominant Western church's marriage-centric theology. In other words, in addition to dealing with racism and sexism and other isms, single black women also have to deal with being marginalized as single people in churches. Just as importantly, marriage-centric ideologies collude with heterosexism and cis-normativity to create hostility towards the LGBTQ people who may not practice or desire heterosexual, heterosexual union or marriage. So it's like there's sneaky on top of sneaky when it comes to what romance does to people in the church and in our theology. Um, and so that's just a... a a snapshot of what romance can look like in our space. Um, I hope we've scaled it down to size, maybe like an eight by 10, so we can look at it a little bit better, see the details, and add some strokes of color so we can highlight the lies a little bit better. Yeah, it's a disproportionate focus, I think is Absolutely. what all of that is getting at. And um, just the intersectionality of leaving people out and an experience that it's sneaky, but it's harmful. Oh, absolutely. Um, that it's not even just sneaky and sneaky, it's harmful upon harmful upon harmful narratives. Mm -hmm. um, and that this starts so early on too. This is a subtle way that I noticed, but I was looking for, of course I was looking on like the day before Valentine's Day. I don't know why I was bothering, but I was looking for a t-shirt for my son um, that had something with hearts on it. I don't know what I was looking for. But I did a quick Amazon search that was like toddler Valentine's Day shirt. And you had crushing hearts with a construction truck. Sorry, girls, my mom's my Valentine. The man of your dreams on an 18-month-old t-shirt. Um, so this conversation starts super early. And I think it's really important that we look to the small ways that we're communicating this from a really early age, even with children, of um, is the way that we're talking about romance and uh, life paths, is that harmful? Is it heteronormative? Um, how are we making things feel like a really exclusive path that you have to follow? And as we've talked, you've mentioned a lot before that you're just a really big question asker. Mm -hmm. So I wonder for you, have specific questions come up as you've sifted through these beliefs around romance? And maybe we can just sit with some of these questions and not necessarily even answer them now. Absolutely. Um, so this might be a newer thing for you. Um, this is my first time in this space, so again, thanks for letting me be a part of this conversation. Um, but I'm gonna throw some questions at you, and I would love for you to just get comfortable in your seats, like if it's helpful or restful for you to close your eyes, um, go for it. Uh, we're gonna sit in a space of wonder and just kind of, as things have bubbled up in our minds and how romance or singleness or marriage or however this has impacted your life has just influenced you. So get comfy. Uh, these are not necessarily in an important order. They're just things that came to mind. So here and we go. And if you are a visual person, oh, yeah. Jen is actually going to put those in the chat on Discord so you can read along there. Oh yeah. Got all the angles. <laughs> okay. So just get comfy and let's wander together. I would like to ask you, who are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a future person? 
for you? For God to show up? What are you waiting for? For life to start? To feel more complete? How much of your worth is tied up to someone or something that isn't God? Do you think you're incomplete before marriage, before dating, or romance? What does home look like for you? Does it have to be a place where you have a spouse and children? Can it be restful and fueling, a space just for you and for others to seek refuge in? Are you just lonely? What are other ways to fill this feeling that don't include romance? What does success look like to you? What would it look like if marriage weren't blocking the picture? What are you made for? Romance? Marriage? For God's glory? As we wrestle through questions um, revolving relationship and identity, regardless of what our current relationship status is, I think these are questions for all of us to be able to think through our own values and maybe the narratives that are really deeply ingrained um, that we might be putting ourselves in a box or we might be putting this narrative on the lives of others in our community. Wrestling through questions like this can help us land on new beliefs that are healing and helpful. So Allison, as we wrestle together, I'm wondering if there's an alternative belief that you'd like us to unpack today. Right, so you guys have been talking about leaving false narratives, false theologies or ideologies behind. And so I would like to invite us to leave the false narrative behind that romance completes us. So then what new belief are we choosing instead? I would like to argue that we are made for relationship in the realm of community. Can we take up that truth instead? Um, and I would like to offer more words from Christina Cleveland, who says it so much better than I ever could. A liberation theology for single people proclaims that God is neither married nor single. God is relational. This means that God's relational nature 
can be beautifully imaged by humans who are married or single. However, single people reflect on the Trinitarian nature of God in a unique way. As single people who are not committed to a dyadic marital relationship with one other human being, we are free to invest in communities of people. We are free to create our own chosen family. I really love her words there. Um, and it just gets at that continuing expansion of maybe there has been a hyper focus on an individual relationship that now can be expanded to focus on community, on chosen family, on the ways that we embody community in different settings, like in a church setting. Um, that the, the core belief still stands that we are bettered by community. We're bettered by being in relationship with other people. We need the experience of others to move us beyond ourselves and our own mental blocks. And so when we look toward community instead of individual relationships, this takes the stress off of trying to uh, stick to one path, that you're not necessarily going to find a source of fulfillment in one person, but you can find many pieces of fulfillment and encouragement and joy in relationship with others in the context of community. In going through this practice together of giving up false beliefs um, and taking on new ones, it often uncovers how deeply ingrained certain narratives and values are, regardless of your church experience, um, coming into this conversation. And it's extremely difficult, we've talked about this before, to think ourselves into new ways of living. Um, instead, we have this charge to live ourselves into new ways of thinking. So we wanted to include some experiments for you to try to kind of counteract this idea that romance will complete you. So Allison, could you kick us off with some experiments here? Absolutely. And I think this is really powerful that you guys end with a charge to go do something different or to try something different. Um, so we can sit in these better ways of interpreting and experiencing God's love for humanity in a tangible way. And these might seem lame or simple to you, but they're really fun, I Simple think. is nice. Simple is nice. There's so much going on yeah. in the world. I cannot handle a complex charge at this point. Simple is good. All right, so then we're on the right track. <laughs> Um, so it could be as simple as reframing dating. Uh, if being in relationship has just never been your thing anyway, that's great. I think we have an opportunity to take ourselves out. People are always like, you can't go out alone. And like as a woman especially, they're like, it's dangerous. And I think it's really fun actually. I feel a little bit dangerous, you know, breaking the rules. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going out by myself. You know it. Uh, Take yourself out. It's really fun. Go somewhere because you want to go there and enjoy it fully because you love it. Um, take your friends out. It doesn't have to like be this, you know, weekly ordained like girls' night out or boys' night out. Like, just get together. Um, this one's really sappy, but also that's me. Uh, have you ever written yourself a love letter? It's kind of awesome. You kind of just get to center and focus on the things you love about you that are not informed or muddied by what someone else is saying about mm -hmm. you. It's just for you. Um, another great way that people who are married or are in family settings can help be in community with single people is to invite them over for dinner. It is so hard to like do the things by yourself and then have to like prep food, make food, 
clean food by yourself. It's like a two hour dinner commitment when it could have just taken 30 minutes. So feed us please. Uh, <laughs> or just do simple things like invite them to get groceries with you. I don't know why, but doing the errands by yourself is just sad sometimes. It's more fun when you have community to do it with. Um, just simple things like that. Invite people to do things with you even if they're simple. Yeah. And I think another one that comes to mind for me um, is that this is a great opportunity for us to rethink how we do communal spaces. I think both with this conversation and really where we're at in the pandemic, um, all things around gathering and communities have kind of had to go out the window um, because we've had to adjust to consistently changing new senses of normalcy. And so this is a good opportunity for us to rethink some of the ways that we have structured community and whether it is marriage-centric or um, our more traditional understandings of family-centric or is there communal space that is truly about community and welcoming the full experience of people regardless of what their relationship status is um, and their identity there. And as, we're, as we were talking in preparation for today, um, something that really struck me that you brought in was using and taking up new metaphors for how we understand both the church, um, the love of God, how we look at our own experiences of faith, and that there are so many other metaphors that we can look to that do not involve any type of um, emphasis on marriage, emphasis on romantic relationships. So could you, as we close today, walk us through some of these other metaphors that we have? Absolutely, and feel free to jump in with any thoughts you have along the way. Um, I'm huge into imagery, and it's all over scripture, and that's why I get really frustrated that the one image we get stuck with is like romance, marriage, uh, describing God's love. Uh, we're going to look at the book of John today, which is one of the four gospels in the New Testament in the Bible. Um, there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes in this book. So Jesus is talking to people, talking to two disciples, and he's like, I am this, and this is how he's describing God's love for humanity. And so we're going to walk through these seven different images for God's love, and I invite you to take hold of one that resonates with you. Uh, so we don't have to get trapped into even accidentally believing that our worth, salvation, hope, all rests on one single person that isn't Jesus, isn't God, isn't the Holy Spirit. Um, so let's start with John 6. If you're a person who likes to dig back into scripture, I'll list where you can find these. Um, but in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I love this because food. <laughs> Who doesn't love food? I mean, you gotta have like bread and crackers on your charcuterie tray, gotta have it. Um, it's beautiful because it's not only nourishing and sustaining a person, and it feeds you and it's good, it's delicious, but this is also a really powerful metaphor if you struggle with your relationship with food, because Jesus says, I am the bread of life, taste and see that my love is good, like, this is nourishment for your body, and it's healing and sustaining. Um, I, this is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, and then also for all of you sourdough bread bakers through the pandemic, <laughs> this will sit with you as well. Uh, in John 8, Jesus says, 
I am the light of the world. This is really powerful because light is energy. Light means warmth. It's not just illumination. Light travels, it reaches, it extends. And when you have many lights in a space, it creates an even bigger glow than you could ever imagine. Like think of, think of nighttime or the galaxy. Individual stars literally light up the sky. That's a pretty powerful image of what God's love looks like. Another one in John 10 is, I am the door for the sheep. I like this one because I think we talk a lot about gatekeeping in the Christian church, and that's a really messy topic. And guess what? It's not my job. It's not your job. Jesus says, I'm the door. Next. He also continues that metaphor in John 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. So not only does Jesus stand at the door, but he's also walking in the field with us. Walks in the valley, searches for us when we're lost, comforts us, provides us with our needs. This is really reminiscent of Psalm 23, if you're someone who likes poetry in the Bible. And shepherds don't just tend to one sheep, it's sheeps here, it's plural. So we've got a whole herd with you as you go with your guide. In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I love this because if you were thinking about those questions of like, in whom does your identity and your purpose and your belonging and life belong to? Jesus, Sunday school answer, case closed. Uh, and I think that's even true for those of us who may be wrestling with understanding what following Jesus looks like. Mm -hmm. um, maybe those of us who aren't sure, like, because I'm in this space of wrestling and questioning, can I call myself a Christian? All of these um, questions that we may be working toward or working through. But when we look beyond these um, like all of these metaphors are held together. There's not, you have to accept all of them and think that that is concretely true and build your understanding of faith around it. Um, you can see that these are invitations into a communal life, a life that looks toward me finding meaning beyond just yourself and beyond just an individual relationship in a way that really still centers love, that it's not romantic love that needs to get centered, but the idea of love, of communally being in spaces that are loving and restorative, that that's the core of what this is. But there's a couple more. I'll there let you finish. Are. Jump in anytime, girl. You're amazing. <laughs> um, this one is sticky. Uh, this one is in John 14. And this is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you guys talked earlier about a blueprint faith. And so I'd like to put it this way. I'm not saying that there is a one way with all of the right road signs and walls for you to navigate your journey on. Uh, what do you think the path to Jesus looks like? I think if we look at another story in scripture, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are people who were God's chosen and then they were enslaved for hundreds of years. And then they were liberated by God. And then they wandered in the desert for four decades. And then they made it to the promised land. And then there was more mess. 
<laughs> and so I would like to offer that this way, this truth, and this life following Jesus is a total mess. <laughs> I don't know if you have experienced that yourself. I definitely have. But I love the idea that we are wandering in community. It wasn't one Israelite that was alone. It wasn't one sheep that was alone. It was an entire people group. And we are all guided by God the entire time into a fuller life as we wander. And then the last one, this is, this is my personal favorite, so I'm biased, but roll with me here. It's in John 15 when Jesus says, I am the true vine. And I love this because I'm a nature person, but it also says so much about the intentionality that God has with interacting with humanity, how beautifully everything is made, but also how wild it is. Mm-hmm. And you can plant a plant, but you can't control how fast or how tall it grows. You can tend to a plant daily, if any of you became plant parents during the pandemic, that's a thing. Uh, but you can't control when it blooms or when it's ready for harvest. That is completely up to the own will of the plant. And I think it also creates this bigger picture of God's love because it's like an ecosystem. It means that we can't be a garden if we're all just blades of grass, right? And we literally cannot survive without all of the other parts of the nature system. We would literally die without each other. (laughs) And we wouldn't die without romance. God is saying we would die without community. And that, to me, is rather extraordinary. Uh, Just, again, helping to recenter some of those priorities and the, the things that we have been told, the disproportionate emphasis on one relationship. So as we close, Allison, I would love, are there any closing thoughts, any word of encouragement that you would like to lead us with? Yeah, I I always have soapbox thoughts, so here's just a couple. Uh, You and your identity belongs to you and God. You are more than just a single person. You are more than just a married person. You're more than just someone dating another person. You're part of a greater whole. We need to break apart these lines that silo people into these isolating spaces because identity is you, it's a part of us, and we are all a part of God. I would like to invite you to stop looking for someone else to complete you. You are already complete and made whole in God's eyes. Your life began when you were born, simple as that. You were not born with the purpose of being married. You were born with the purpose of being part of the bread, being part of the light, being a sheep in the field to be fully alive, to wander with God, to be a part of the garden. I love that. Would you pray to close our time together? I would love that. So... Whatever posture of prayer is comfortable for you, I invite you to take that. Oh God, our God, this is an equally heartbreaking and liberating word that we have received today. 
For those of us that have been trapped in the lie that our life will begin or be complete when we meet the one you have divinely created for us, I pray that we can find rest in the truth that we are already complete as we are right now. We are already worthy of an abundance of love. Our purpose is not wrapped up in someone in a distant future, but our purpose lies in your hands for our life right now with these siblings in Christ around us. We're not born for marriage or for romance. We were born for your glory. It hurts to hear that these false promises perpetuated by the church have so fiercely spilled out into American culture that so many of us are in waiting. God, romance is a blessing and it's beautiful, but it's not the only one that exists for us to be loved fully, to belong fully, and to live fully. We might not have a divine pairing in store for us, but we do have a divine family within immediate reach right here. There's no need to wait for love because your love is all around us. It's offered in every slice of bread, in every ray of light, and in every growing thing. This love of yours, God, is nourishing, wholesome, and wild. Let us have the courage and strength to leave behind the lie that romance completes us and have the boldness to take hold that a greater picture of your love is in each other, in community. God, thank you for loving us for who we are wherever we are in our journey with you. God, to you we pray in the presence of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen.